Uh, we're in a series looking at uh, this Lent. Lent for centuries has been a season in the church calendar where we pause to repent, to fast, to prepare for the coming resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. And during the series, we have been looking at the Psalms for our source of direction, for our source of guidance. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started us off talking about uh, Psalms of lament. We continued by looking at Psalms of repentance, a Psalm of, of death wisdom last week. And today we're gonna to look at a Psalm of, of waiting, uh, really uh, lamenting and waiting. And so uh, Psalm 130, when we get there, uh, just hold on to your place there. We'll return there in a moment. Let's go to God um, in prayer as we enter into this passage here. Father, thank you for uh, the ways that you have been speaking to us in this season of Lent. And Lord, we wait for you. We wait for you to uh, speak to us in profound ways today. Lord, I ask that uh, you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see. That on the words of scripture, the Holy Spirit would bring them alive in us. That we would walk out of here having encountered the risen Jesus in your power. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. I want to begin with a question. What if uh, Disney princesses uh, didn't live happily ever after? I know that's not the question that you woke up with this morning, contemplating, I wonder what will happen, but it's a question that a photographer named uh, Dina Goldstein was curious about. Uh, in her gripping photo series called Fallen Princesses, the photographer envisioned how most of Disney's most celebrated females' lives would have played out in the real world. And the question of uh, their photography came out of a personal crisis. And she says it in this way, and I quote, my daughter was very small and getting to the whole Disney princess's culture. And at the same time, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she said, I started to think, what if these princesses have to deal with cancer or financial troubles or real life problems people have to go through? And so out of that question, she began to imagine famous Disney princesses in the real world, experiencing real troubles and real suffering and real pain. And so here are some of the photos. There are many photos she put up, but these photos are, are gripping uh, because it's nothing like we've seen before in this context. And so she began by asking, what would happen to the Little Mermaid? The Little Mermaid that we're familiar with. What, what, what if Ariel's life ended differently at the end of the movie, for those of you that are uninitiated, for those of you, she, she ends with uh, uh, seeing, being with Eric. She turns into a human being. She gets married and all that. And she ends not being in the sea, but entering into a, a new kind of human existence. She asked the question, what if Ariel's life ended in an aquarium, just stuck and just trapped, unable to do anything? And she, well, what if it ended this way? She asked a question about Snow White that many of us are familiar with. Snow White, Snow White ends with Prince Charming, and, and we've seen the cartoon before. But she asked a question, this is actually my favorite one. She said, what if Snow White's life looked like this? <laughs> I love Prince Charming. His feet are just out there watching the game, and Snow White is just like, you better get there grab one of these kids right now, you know? She asked another question. What, what would happen to uh, Rapunzel? And this one is the one that really was gripping. This one was really was shocking as I, as I saw it. 
Rapunzel known for her joy, all her hair. She said, what, what if her life ended differently and Rapunzel had cancer? And the hair was really more just a wig that she was wearing. When we look at these photos, we are faced with a painful truth of human existence. And the truth is this, that everyone experiences pain. Everyone experiences what the psalmist calls the depths. Eugene Peterson said that to be human is to be in trouble. And I find this to be true because the nature of human existence is to encounter the depths, to encounter trouble. And everyone experiences at one point or another disorientation. And whether that pain is financial, whether that pain is emotional, whether that pain is physical, psychological, whether that pain is relational, we all experience it. And the challenge before us is how do we respond to pain? How do we respond to disorientation that comes our way? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that one of the ways that we respond to pain and respond to disorientation is that we lament, that we, we cry out to God in our honesty and in our pain. And in our text this morning, we have a psalmist that helps us journey through the challenging moments of life in a different kind of way, in an additional kind of way. And we find it in Psalm chapter 130. In Psalm chapter 130, hear the word of the Lord. The psalmist says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we with reverence can serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in. What you want to do is you might want to just put your name where it says, Israel, put your name there. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The psalm we just read is, is one of uh, my favorite psalms as as I look at the 150 of them. And the psalm we just read is, is called one of the psalms of the ascent, one of the psalms of ascent. And in the book of Psalms, there are 15 of these psalms there, and, and scholars say that the psalms of ascent are psalms that were sung on the road by the people of God as they were on their way to the temple, to a festival. And so as people were journeying together, these are some of the psalms that they would sing. Others have said that the psalm of ascent are psalms that starts in one place, in this place, a very low place, but as the, as the psalm moves on, it, it gradually and slowly ascends to the point where it starts in the depths by the end of it. He's talking about, I'm hoping in God. With God, there is forgiveness. So he begins here, and he ascends there. And I like that kind of psalm. I like when my life goes in that direction, that it might start here, but after an encounter with God and his love, my, my life begins to ascend. The book of uh, Psalms here is, is we see the trajectory of despair to hope. And in this psalm, what we see is there's an urgency that is different from the psalm that we looked at last week. Last week's psalm began with Moses describing God's power, describing his everlasting character. Moses has a grand, beautiful picture of God. Moses begins by speaking of how God's eternal reality brought forth the mountains. And, and Moses begins the psalm by bragging on God. Moses is saying, let me tell you about who God is is and his everlasting character. He's the one who brings forth the mountain. But the psalm today does nothing of the sort. The psalmist has no time for theology. 
The psalmist has no time to contemplate God's ontological existence. The psalmist is in trouble. And because the psalmist is in trouble, his basic prayer is help. I got no time to pontificate on philosophy or theology. When my life is in trouble, my prayer is help. And there's really five kinds of prayers that we really pray. One prayer is wow. That's one kind of prayer. Wow. Another prayer is thank you. Another prayer is please. Another prayer is I'm sorry. And then my favorite prayer is help. And this is this kind of psalm. The psalmist writes that he is in the depths. And he says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. And the word depths there, it it represents a person overwhelmed by powerful waters. And this might be a picture of your life today. Overwhelmed by the waters of human existence. Whether those waters are financial or physical or relational or emotional, you find yourself overwhelmed, drowning in distress. Overwhelmed and sucked down by the bottomless waters of trouble. Now, we don't know why he's in the depths. We don't know why he's in this situation. But he's in there nonetheless. And the depths are the place where we are lost. The depths are the place where we're stuck. Where we're caught in a place where we can't free ourselves from in our own strength. And whether that struggle is financial, whatever it is, we find ourselves in the depths. At the end of the pool, without the ability to find the ground and stand, the bottom falls out. And out of the depths of human experience, what the psalmist does here is very instructive. Because the psalmist doesn't hide his pain. The psalmist doesn't hide his suffering. The psalmist acknowledges his situation. And he openly voices his cry to God. And notice he doesn't hide his suffering from God. He doesn't hide his suffering from others. His pain is acknowledged and expressed. Actually, this is a song, a psalm that people are going to sing. And the fact that he has done this, the simple fact that he has acknowledged his pain and disorientation to God has helped him to ascend. And although he's in the depths, when he says, Lord, I'm overwhelmed, he is positioning himself to ascend. And when I look at this psalm, I can't help but think about the way we suffer, the way we experience disorientation, and the way that we respond to it. But if this psalm gives us any direction, it's this. The psalm gives us permission to admit being overwhelmed. It gives us permission to admit, to confess, I am overwhelmed. And verse 1 and verse 2 gives us word that we need to confess to God, confess to ourselves, confess to others. Lord, I am in over my head. This is hard, and this is hard for many of us to confess this, to confess that I'm overwhelmed. For many of us in this room is a very challenging thing to do because, because we want to project an image of strength. We want to let the world know, I got this. I'm in control. And so, or we don't want to confess that we're overwhelmed because we realize that I don't want to burden other people with my problems. And so I'm okay. I don't need, but your hand just fell off. No, 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 I got another one. I'm okay. Don't worry about me, you know. For some of us, we have to do this because we notice everyone else is cracking under the pressure. And so if I crack under the pressure too, where is this going to leave us? And so we overcompensate for everybody else's distress. And everyone else is fine saying, I'm overwhelmed. But we have a hard time saying, I'm overwhelmed. Let me ask you this morning, what is overwhelming you? 
What's keeping you up at night? What's stressing you out? Now, surprisingly, when we give ourselves the freedom to confess this, we are on a journey towards ascension. The psalmist basically lets us know it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Notice the psalmist, he doesn't live in illusion. He doesn't sweep the struggles under the rug. He doesn't run to addictions to escape hard reality. He doesn't say, out of the depths, oh Lord, I go shopping to numb myself from the pain. He doesn't say, out of the depths, I, I run to alcohol. Out of the depths, I run to pornography. Out of the depths, I run to workaholism. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, oh Lord. And he doesn't fall into despair. Rather, in the depths, he is pursuing God. In his suffering, he comes to God. And, and he comes to God because he wants to communicate something to us who are reading this psalm. He wants us to understand this as well. And this is what the psalmist understands. He understands that suffering runs deep, but God's love runs deeper. Amen. And he wants to let us know this. That although suffering and pain run deep, the depths, he knows that God's love runs deeper. Our sin runs deep. But God's love runs deeper. In verse 3 and 4, he makes this shift. He's talking about, I'm in the depths. And then he begins to describe God's power. And he says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? That means no one could stand. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. And at the end of the chapter, he says, with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. It's like he's saying, listen, I know what it's like to be in the depths. But I've also experienced a God who is deeper than the deepest depth. And we could face our suffering and pain and acknowledge it because we know at the end of the day, the pain and suffering never is the bottom line. Pain and suffering never is the ultimate thing. It can never constitute the bottom line. What he's saying is God's love is the bottom line. I love what a Scottish theologian uh, P.T. Forsyth said about this and in a very uh, beautiful way he, he captured it where he said these words that God is deeper than the deepest depth of man. He is holier than our deepest sin is deep. He said, Rich, my, my sin runs deep. God's grace runs deeper. My suffering is deep. God's grace and love run deeper. And this passage shows us that however we got into the depths, whether through our mistakes or whether through somebody else's mistakes, or whether through it, we can't even understand how we got here, he reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And I know maybe you don't feel that today, but we have to just hold on to these promises in faith. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. In my deepest depth, God is even deeper. In my deepest suffering, God is even deeper. In my deepest pain and sin, God is even deeper. And it is out of this place that the psalmist does something while he is in the depths. While he is in the pit, while he is experiencing disorientation. He does something so simple yet so profound. The psalmist waits. He waits. Psalm 130 teaches us at least two things. It teaches us that we should be honest about our struggles and that we should wait. That we're honest about our struggles and we should 
wait. In verse 5, he says these words. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watch him and wait for the morning. And it wasn't like, what did I just say? Let me just say that again. He didn't say that accidentally. This is for emphasis. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. When life isn't going our way and we're in the depths, most of us don't think to wait. We think to fix. And what happens is in our rush to fix, we're impatient. And we begin to rush. Let me ask you, how do you wait? How's your waiting game like? Do you wait pretty good or do you have a hard time waiting? The psalmist is devoted to waiting while he is in the depths. And not just any kind of waiting. It's a very specific kind of waiting. He says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Now, the watchmen in ancient times was the first line of defense in a fortified city. And they stood on the watchtower and were trained to spot enemies and to warn of an approaching enemy. And so the watchmen would survey the countryside for any signs of movement. This is a very difficult job. It's dark outside. He, he has to be attentive. He has to be alert. He has to be on the lookout for any approaching movement, any approaching enemies that might come. But in addition, beyond uh, the watchman just waiting for enemies, it says he, the watchman waits for the morning. And I was wondering, why is the watchman waiting for the morning? And if any of you had like a graveyard shift, you know your shift is almost over. No wonder you're waiting for the morning because I can't wait to go home. But, but besides that, all right, I'm going to get a little deeper. Besides, I just can't wait to go home. He waits for the morning, I believe, because the previous hours have been surrounded by darkness. And the morning reminds him that although my life has been surrounded by darkness, light is coming. The dawn is coming. The sun is rising. And he's reminded that although life and human existence can be dark, I know there's coming a time, there's coming a day where light is coming. Where darkness has to give way to the power of the sun. I know that this is not going to be my reality forever, nor than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He's in darkness, but light is coming. And this is what we hold on to in the season of Lent. That although we might be in darkness, we hold on to the truth that light is coming. We hold on to the truth that although we are in Lent, resurrection is coming. Easter is coming. A brand new day is coming. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. How do you wait? How we wait is so important because the greatest opportunities for growth and perhaps the greatest opportunities to sin happen while we're waiting. We either have a great opportunity to grow in God or we have a great opportunity to grow in sin. It's just like this is just how it happens while we're waiting. But beyond just the watchman image, I, I want to give you another kind of image. Because we don't use in our context here in 21st century Queens, New York City, the image of a watchman. And so I want to give you another image to help us understand how we should wait when we're in the depths. Maybe this image will help you. A couple years ago, I took a trip to Kansas to go to a retreat. And the organizers of the retreat said that there would be a guy picking me up at baggage claim. And he would have a sign with my name on it. 
and he would bring me to the retreat. And so I got off the plane and I headed to the baggage claim. And as I'm there, I'm looking for the guy with the sign with my name on it. I got to remember, this isn't JFK. This, this is Kansas. And so it's not a big airport. And so this shouldn't be a problem. So after some time, I realized that although I was looking for the guy, the guy wasn't looking for me. And so 10 minutes passed, and I don't see this guy with the sign. 15 minutes passed, nothing. 20 minutes passed, nothing. Where is this guy? And I didn't have the guy's number. So after about 20 minutes or so, I, I noticed that there is a guy who is glued to his phone with his head down. And so awkwardly and hesitantly, I approach him and say, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, are you waiting to pick up a rich Velotus? And he responded so casually, oh, yeah, are you rich? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm poor. And then I noticed that the sign was in his pocket. And he said, all right, come on. I was like, come, what do you mean, come on? You know, just like. And as I thought about this story, it came to me that most of us wait for God like that. Psalm 130 reminds us that our waiting for God is a focused waiting. Because the psalmist knows two things. The psalmist knows God is on his way. God has landed. And so because God is on his way, I need to be on the lookout. And so we are to be like someone at the airport, expectant, awake, waiting for the Lord. And in this way, we, this is how we should live our lives in the airport of human existence. This is how we should be waiting. This is how we should be waiting. Like this. Just like this here. You know how it is when you're at the airport and you're either driving in LaGuardia, JFK, and, it's, and, and hundreds of people, and you're, you're, you're focused. You're looking. If you're driving, you're looking. You don't want to go around again. You're going to park this until the guy says, get out of here. Then you go, get out, go again. You're looking. If you're back baggage claim, you're, you're, you're trying to get through the crowd and through the fog, and, and I want to just see the person I am waiting for. This is how we should be with God. Because the psalmist knows God is coming. And so because God is coming, I, I live with expectation. I live with an alertness. I live with a focus. God is, Lord, where are you? I know you're coming. It could, might it be that God has already landed? Might it be that God is already in your depths, in the darkness of human existence? Maybe God has already shown up in your life. And maybe God wants to address you right where you're at. And so this is the posture of our heart. Lord, where, what are you doing? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn? This is why one of my favorite questions at New Life, and I've learned this eight years ago, is, is a very simple question. And this is this question, how has God been coming to you? And it's, it's, it's one of the best questions we have at New Life and how we do spiritual formation because it presupposes two things. Number one, God is coming. And this is the mystery of faith because God is here already, and yet he's coming. It's the paradox uh, and, and the mystery of faith. He's here, and yet he's coming. And Lord, how are you coming? 
What are you saying? What do you want me to see? How do you want me to grow? And so we are, we are to position our lives. All of life is waiting for God. All of human existence, if I could just capture it in one state, is our lives are waiting for God. And so this is why every time we gather on a Sunday morning, what you're doing right now, and, I, and this is why we need to be doing it every single Sunday, is we're waiting for God. We're waiting for God. We're waiting for God to, in our depths, speak to us. This is why it's so important that we are lovers of Scripture. And we read the Bible, and we're, we're, we're reading it, not, not just as a, a list of things. Lord, I am, I am attentive. How are you coming to me? This is why it's so important that we, we talk about cultivating silence and, and solitude and making space because God is always coming to us. He's always here and he's always coming. And so our lives are to be positioned so that we can discern, Lord, what are you saying? This is why it's so important that we are connected to a small group of other folks at New Life. This is why we talk about small group communities and meeting in different parts of the city. That when we gather together, we are gathering, of course, to be in community with one another, but it just becomes another way that we wait on God for the ways that God is coming to us. And so we are to wait with an alert expectation, not just because God is coming, but because the way God comes and the way God saves is in ways that we don't expect. The way God resolves our problems is in ways that we don't expect. This is the essence of the cross. This is the essence of Lent. This is the essence of Good Friday. This is the essence of Easter. When God showed up to rescue us, when God showed up to save us, he didn't do it in the conventional way that you think a Messiah would, where he would slay all the enemies and, and rescue those that are righteous. When God rescues us, he does it in a way that is foolish to the world. He does it in a way that makes no sense but only those that are paying attention to what God was doing in Christ saw what he was doing. He was rescuing us in a way that did not look the way that it was going to, we would not expect this at all. No one expected that when the Messiah was going to redeem all of human existence and all of creation to himself, he would do it through a cross. No one anticipated that. And yet how God rescues us and how God saves us and how God comes to us is so unconventional. It's so different. And so we are to wait in expectation because the ways that God come to us are ways that we typically don't expect. And might I say this as well? The ways that God solves our problems are different than the ways we expect. All of us in this room, to one degree or another, have a vision for what life looks like when the problem is solved. We all have a vision. If you're in the depths right now, you have a very clear picture. What would it look like for me to get out of the depths? What would it look like? And, and we enumerate. This is what it will look like for me to get out of the depths. But in Lent, we wait on a God that does things differently. That although I'm out of the depths, being out of the depths might look different to God than it looks to me. But at the end of the day, the psalmist waits in a particular way. He waits in hope. In hope. 
And I love how at the end, the end of the psalm goes, he goes, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And to wait in hope means to hold the belief that God is coming. And he's coming in a way that's bringing full redemption and full restoration. And so to, to wait in hope means that there is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. I'm waiting in hope, knowing that the way God comes to me is going to come with unfailing love, and with him he's coming with full redemption. And so we have to be open. When we wait in hope, we wait with openness. And we wait ultimately because the God that we worship, and I want to invite the worship team to come forward, the God that we worship, isn't a God who is unfamiliar with the depths. The God that we worship is a God that entered into the deepest depth, the deepest depth of, depth of human existence, dying on a cross, bearing the weight of the world, the sin of the world on his back, on his shoulders. Jesus Christ enters into the deepest depths and through his depths, we're able to ascend because of what Christ has done on the cross. E entering the deepest depths of human existence. This, his work on the cross, his resurrection, becomes the precursor to our lives ending in ascension. And listen, the way you ascend might look different, but make no mistake about it. Because he's resurrected, we too will be resurrected. And resurrection is coming because Christ has entered into the deepest depths. And so as Eugene Peterson said, waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. It's a disciplined refusal to wait before God acts. To wait to act before God acts. And I believe, Lord, you're, right now you're moving. Right now you're working. Lord, may I trust you and hope knowing that I can't see how this situation is going to change, but I know it's going to change. And what I love most about the psalmist is that the psalmist says, Lord, I wait for you. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I wait for this situation to change. He says, I wait for you. Because he understands that your situation can change and you still not have an encounter with God. But he knows that although he has encountered God, whether the situation changes or not, at some point or another, it becomes irrelevant because I've encountered God. And so the psalmist says, more than anything, I wait for you. And that's the invitation for us today. Wait on the Lord more than watch him and wait for the morning. More than watch him and wait for the morning. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to have a moment of just silence and reflection before God. What's your depth today? What are the depths? What are the waters that are overwhelming you today? What's the area in your life that you feel overwhelmed? You're out of control. When you're, when you're overwhelmed in the waters, drowning as it were, you're, you're out of control. You can't say, you need someone to come and rescue you. What are your depths today?
Might I encourage you to ask the question, Lord, in my depths, how are you coming to me? What are you saying? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to shape me? How do you want to form me? So let's pause and we'll close with a song of worship together. Let's get about a minute of just silence and reflection before God. Lord, in this season of Lent, we, we confess that many times we're overwhelmed in the depths. And Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, teach us how to wait on you. Lord, when we get a bad health diagnosis, teach us to wait on you. When our marriage is falling apart, teach us to wait on you. I lost my job, teach us to wait on you. When our children are behaving in ways that breaks our heart, Lord, teach us to wait on you. Lord, when life isn't unfolding the way I thought it would, teach us to wait on you. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And as we wait, may we encounter your grace, your power. May you fill us with hope. And so we sing to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And that's the promise of God, that he's coming. He is the God who has come, who is coming, and will come. And so we wait on him. And listen, the nuance of waiting is, when we wait on God, it's not that we're waiting and not doing anything. Really, the opposite of waiting is, is this undisciplined reacting. I'm just going to, something happens, I'm going to react. I'm going to fix this thing. Really, when we're waiting on God, we're waiting on God acting first, out of which we act. And that's a much bigger difference than just twiddling your thumbs. I'm just going to wait for it. It's I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for his direction. I'm waiting for his guidance. And this is why, whether it's Sunday morning gatherings, whether it's reading scripture, whether it's small groups, whether it's uh, silence and solitude, our lives are about waiting on God. A disciplined refusal to act before God acts. And that's what it means to wait on God. And so I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left. I want to invite those folks to come forward who are going to be um, serving us today in these capacities. When we come to the table, it's the table of grace. It's a table out of which our lives are transformed and and shaped and changed. We come to take bread that has been dipped in a cup. And we're reminded that out of the depths, new life comes. That out of the deepest depth of the cross, 
This is why we take bread and dip it in a cup. New life emerges. And for some of you, maybe you're at a place where you're in the depths. You just need someone to pray with you and pray for you. To uh, remind you that God has not left you. That he has not abandoned you. That he's with you. That he is for you. And so if you'd like to receive prayer, our, our prayer team will be here. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if maybe you're familiar with Christianity, but you don't know uh, the Jesus of Christianity, uh, our prayer team here would love to pray with you as well. If you're saying, you know what, I'm in the depths, and I, I try to get myself out of the depths, whether it's the depths of despair or depression or sin, whatever it is, and you realize, I need a greater power to pull me out of the waters. And if, you're, if you want to make a decision today to basically say, Lord, take my hand, please, uh, our prayer team would love to pray with you. But as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're new here, we end every gathering like this because this is a posture of receiving. You're extending your hand before God. You're saying, Lord, I can't save myself from the depths. I need you to save me from the depths. And so I offer my life to you. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And as you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, may God so fill you to wait on him, to refuse to act before he acts, to wait on him more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God.